0: hey welcome back to the show so this week is going to be the only time that i ask you to look past some sound issues uh, i headed over to the davis theater near lincoln park which is the site of the middle coast film festival it's going on all weekend they got over 60 short films so i went over there and i sat down with the chairman of the festival and the program director and i talked to a couple of the filmmakers To get an idea of uh, what it's like for them this weekend, and a couple of their own personal inspirations and favorite films, and why they think film is is such an important medium, and all the things that we can learn from it. So hope you enjoy another episode.
1: Wax on, right hand. Wax off, left hand. Life moves pretty fast.
2: You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Ooh, infinity.
3: AND BEYOND! You wanna see the most beautiful thing I've ever filmed? What's but a smile on that face? They call me Mr. Tips.
4: Hey, Vasquez. Have you ever been mistaken for a man? No. Have you? What? What ain't no country I ever heard of? They
1: speak English and what? There's no crying in baseball!
4: Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. you become a
1: motherfucker
5: away from
6: her, you bitch!
7: Keep the change, you be animal. So you're telling me there's a chance? Yeah! What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Cool, so can you just tell me um, your name and how you're connected to this project? My name is John Shorg and I'm a member of the Middle Coast Film Festival Board of Directors. Cool, so we're down here at
0: the Davis Theatre in Chicago. This is uh, films back to back. Do you know how many films there? We have more than
7: sixty showing over the course of the next couple of days. Five features and that would leave around 50, 55 shorts as well. Some web series. Practically anything that human beings should have a right to enjoy will be showing during the, over the next couple of days.
0: Uh, that's fantastic. And so how long have you been connected with the Middle Coast Film um, Festival?
7: I, I first became aware of it three years ago when I had a friend who was involved with Middle Coast, and she introduced me to Jess, and her demented vision caught me by, caught me completely by... You know, it was wonderful to wonderful to take part. So, I the first couple of years, I uh, was more of a I was a benefactor, and I came and I enjoyed the shows and I enjoyed talking to the people who made the movies. And then this year, she asked if I would take on a little bit bigger role, and I was more than delighted to. And here we are in Chicago after four years in Bloomington, Indiana.
0: Wow! So, are there any other film festivals that you that you work with?
7: Yeah, no, I go to I go to some. But I find them too large for it to be truly enjoyable. Mm-hmm. There are some down in the Indianapolis area. There's an Indie Film Fest and there's a Heartland Film Festival. But they are, um, I think the kind term is gassy to the extreme. And I like smaller festivals. Smaller festivals that give films like the ones we're showing here a chance to be seen. And I think if you're a true movie fan, you're a true movie fan for all of them, and everybody who make everybody who goes to the time and trouble of making movies should have an opportunity to have an audience see mm-hmm. And I think festivals like this give them that opportunity, and that's why I like it.
8: Yeah,
0: I think that the the mindset behind short films is incredible. I, I try to watch a couple every day. Yeah, um, I'm a filmmaker myself, but I feel like uh, you know when you make short films, you know there there's there are certain services that do yeah. that do purchase short films and, yeah. and you know there is a very small market for financial return, but I've never met one filmmaker who is making a movie for the money. Yeah. You know, so in terms of you,
7: I I'm not aware of short films that make money. Right, right. I and mean, even when they package them for the Academy, those that are nominated for the Academy Awards, I mean you see those in very limited markets, things like that. The other thing I guess I would add is that The stories behind these shorts are always fascinating to watch. Mm -hmm. Whether, you know, why a short film? Well, I want to make a longer one, but as I worked on it, I had to do a shorter one. And it turned out a shorter film was a better way to do it. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. I had a story I had to tell. But Carson Pallad, who's over here. He, he wanted to tell the story of his grandfather, who was a hockey hall of famer. And a salty old guy who gave his career, and he has a colorful time. And, my God, that deserves to be heard. But it's always stuff like that. And the commitment really is there, because the money often isn't. And the people, and you said you've made films, the... The, the stories about making how they finance them are always. I mean, my God, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what you have to go through. It's always a labor of a labor of love. Yes, because it's not. They're not throwing money at you. Mm-hmm. They're not throwing money at you. You have. Fr- you find out your friends. Mm-hmm. That's probably the best way to yeah. describe it. Yeah. Yeah. And so. I think I think short films are also really interesting
0: because more than feature films, with short films, every line of dialogue matters all the more. Every scene is important. Yes. You know, every if you have one character who only has one line of dialogue and uh, eight minutes short, that line of dialogue has so much more weight on its shoulders than a character yes. who has, you know, fifty lines of dialogue in a feature film. Yes. So the the very short window that you have to tell your story, you know, and all the
7: limitations and yeah. obstacles that brings on. And even even beyond dialogue, every shot, there's a there's an approach you know, how are we gonna do this? You know, mm-hmm the hell with it. Let's try it and see how it works. Yeah. It's I keep thinking about um, I'm trying to think of this I am Cuba where they, they basically take the camera and just jump into the pool, which they did in Boogie Nights. Scene oh, of yeah. the Boogie Nights. Yeah. Stuff like that that you find short films they they're willing to do that. Mm-hmm. You know? Let's do it. Let's see what the hell happens and go from there. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the shame is is that they don't get the attention. Mm-hmm. They don't get the attention. That's why things like this are good. Yeah, very good. That's why you love them.
0: Yeah, I was reading about how um, Slam Dance, which is the short film uh, corner of Sundance Film Festival, over yeah. the last five years has become the most consistently well-attended couple right. of days of the festival, and it's for the exact reasons that we're talking about, and also for you know financing. If I'm if I'm a millionaire film financier. Yeah. I'd rather watch thirty short films than you know eight feature films. Yeah. You know, yes. if I really want to get a good taste of talent
2: out there,
7: because the attention span. Hell, I've been watching movies. Christ, I'm nearly sixty years old. I've been watching movies for as long as I can remember, and I'll tell you, if it's a choice between watching ten shorts, five to ten minutes in length, or a three and a half hour film, I'll flip a coin, but mm-hmm. I, I, I won't feel I lost any either yeah. way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know. I I suffer from that
0: too. I'll be going through Netflix and Hulu and Amazon, and nothing nothing sounds good. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean the short films is just it's unbelievable. Uh, So if somebody but the
7: other the other part of it is it's always like if you think back on the shorts you've liked your time and watching movies one of the things that always used to piss you off was that you could never get you could never, you know god I, I love this how do I see it mm-hmm. how do I get to see this and now there's more of a chance to see it than there used to be. I mm-hmm. mean, hell if if you didn't have a projector or some damn thing, you were fucked. Mm-hmm. But now you do have. There are streaming services where you can get that stuff. You can watch that stuff, and it's great. Yeah, it's absolutely great. And yeah. then you can see it again. Um, Melissa Fitzsimmons, who's one of the coordinators here, did a had a short uh, last year. That party went one time which is like about a 10-12 minute thing about a party and a girl and those kind of things. And it's just, it, it puts 90% of the films that deal with that kind of subject matter mm-hmm. to shame. And you're done with it, it's like 10-12 to 12 minutes long, like I said, and once you're done with it, you're like, I couldn't, you couldn't make that better. Mm-hmm. You could not make that better. You wouldn't want to. Right. Because you didn't need to fuck around. And lard in a whole shitload of music. Right, you could drown it, was, it out with filler, but then you're going to lose that yeah. magnitude. Yes, yes, and that's the kind of thing that I wish people would pay attention to. And that's so, the kind of thing we like to have people come here for.
0: Right, yeah. Chicago seems like it'd be such a great host for things like that.
7: Well, you, you would anyway. It's you never you you never know how much people would like them until they have the opportunity to get to see them
1: mm-hmm.
7: it's like the old saw about foreign films uh, why do i want to why do i want to go to a movie and read it and well go and it's more than just reading the goddamn thing it's more about you know seeing the visuals seeing those kinds of things and it's great yeah it's absolutely great to watch mm-hmm. yeah
0: Uh, If somebody's listening to this, what's the best way that they can either get more information
7: or buy tickets online? Well, MiddleCoastFest.com. They shouldn't even worry about it. They should get their asses in the car or get in the L and get your ass down here and watch these movies over the next couple of days. Uh It is stuff by committed people, and most of them are here and the thing of it is they are the nicest people in the world you could ever be mm-hmm. you have, I have been to film festivals in the past where big feature people and they treat people like shit, they absolutely treat people like shit, you come here and you can have a beer with these people and you can shoot the shit and my, my background's in politics they, they listen to some of the shit that goes on where I work and I listen to some of the shit that goes on at their work and it's just it's, it's fun just to talk to them, because mm-hmm. they're interesting people, and they deserve the attention, and they deserve your company. Great. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so, so much. For everything.
5: Yeah, my name is Melissa Fitzsimmons, and I'm the director of programming here at Middle Coast Film Festival. Okay. Um,
0: and so most of your work is you kind of choose the films.
5: Yeah, so I, I me and uh, a very small crew of screeners, we went through all of the submissions, which were hundreds and hundreds. We picked our movies, and then I shaped the program. I figured out how they were gonna all work, flow together, taking into consideration like who sh- what Chicago's about, the audiences in Chicago, and like maybe what they would like. Uh, put some films in there to challenge them, put some films in there to introduce them to new filmmakers, and so now we're starting.
0: Yeah, right. Please
5: like me. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
0: so did you know that you were gonna that you guys were gonna be at the davis when you started the whole process
5: i mean i did yeah i i don't know in terms of what jessica where where i think she definitely fully wanted to be at the davis and they are they are wonderful Uh, it's amazing theater it's gorgeous here and i've been you know doing our quality control and sound checks and all that and uh it's a beautiful quality. All the movies look and sound amazing, and I'm super excited for people to see them.
0: Yeah. So, um, when you start an unbelievable process of screening hundreds of movies, did you guys try to watch movies together, or did you watch a lot of them by yourself? How does how did that work?
5: Well, we all actually live in different states, and so watching together was not an option. So, me and uh, and John Short who was a you know kind of like my right hand man. <laughs> we watched all the movies and then what we did is what him and I had long discussions over emails and conversations and we gave opinions and thoughts and we agreed on pretty much everything. And there were a few things where we really loved those films, but we only had a day and a half in the schedule. And so a lot of films we were like, Oh, if we just had one more day or (laughs) if we just had one more hour. So there was this kind of pile of films that we, we just kept trying to shove it in and make it work. And it wasn't unfortunately working. So mm-hmm. we're really looking forward to next year when yeah, yeah. we have more time and more days. Knock, yeah. knock on wood, I hope. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there were a few things where, like, we disagreed on and we would argue our case. And some of those films ended up in the festival. And so, because we had different tastes. And so it's nice to, like, have somebody talk to you about why that film would be important to the show, or why that film is entertaining, or what's great about that film, and, and in the end, we're just so happy about everything that we chose. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, uh, that you brought up an interesting point. Some of my favorite conversations I've ever had with people about movies started with, well, I really like this movie, and I really didn't like it, and not really, you know, it's it, it's hard to say the movie was bad. You can say it doesn't work for you, or it didn't, you know, it wasn't... It wasn't for me, but we did an episode on the Blair Witch Project, which Mm -hmm. I love, and one of our other guys hated it. And so it was just an hour of, you know, not necessarily trying to argue against it, but just listening to each Mm -hmm. other's points. And that's like, you know, wait, is this the
5: original Blair
6: Witch Project? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
5: yeah. I I remember seeing that at Sundance. And I had like a weird bootleg VHS. And I, I remember like bringing it back and giving it to my roommate going, you gotta watch this. Yeah. And at that point we legitimately thought it was a real right? film.
0: Well, I think the, the marketing behind that movie was almost more interesting than the actual physical yeah. movie. You know, I mean, I, I love the movie. I think it holds I up. I love but the
5: movie. Yeah. And it holds up. Yes, yeah. But
0: then you start watching it. Like I had watched it again and, and there's a moment where they're at the grocery store and he has a book that says like how to survive in the woods. And that never really comes back into play. But you know, there's, there's, there's little things, but it doesn't. The, the it, you're willing to forgive them, yeah, because of the story. And you know, uh, the plot's really simple, but the story goes. A, a lot deeper than that, so it's it's cool to see a movie well, that sparks a lot of different emotions. Yeah, not Blair Witch per se, but you know, movies with this in general. Festival,
5: yeah. Having conversations with your friends. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, we uh, you know those are my favorite kind of conversations when somebody doesn't like the same movie as you. Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
5: and we have tons of them. We have tons of them at my house. Yeah, and I have tons of them with my my friends and my peers. And the best part is when people outside of those conversations don't realize that you're not arguing you're not fighting right right you're having a very passionate conversation yeah and it can turn
0: into that if that's what you want yeah
5: but 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 like sometimes like my husband and i we have different aesthetics and tastes in movies and we get and we're both very passionate and Mm -hmm. so we start having these like after dinner conversations with a little bit too much drinks and we're just like so into it and the conversation gets louder and louder and louder and my my daughter will come in and go you guys stop fighting and we're like what what are you talking about we're just no this is the best conversation ever and she's like why are you yelling and so
0: (laughs) you'll get it one day you'll understand so what was the last movie that you remember uh passionately debating with your husband
5: oh my husband oh uh I feel like it's an everyday debate with my husband because he's this guy who, he's always saying, like, I don't, he doesn't like anything, first of all. He doesn't like anything, but, uh, and I'm a person who watches anything. And so we do this thing where, like, every night I'll, like, have a something on on the computer even, and he'll come in and he'll go, oh, oh God. He'll make, like, peanut gallery noises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, listen, go away why do you watch this? It's so bad. And then I'm like, but then don't watch it. Just leave
1: the room. Yeah, yeah. Let
5: me enjoy it. But um, uh, in terms of conversation, actually last night at our Airbnb with, oh, I have three filmmakers that I'm staying with. And we had some great film conversations in a more serious tone of how do you separate the man from the art? Mm-hmm. Those types of conversations. And this led to a conversation about Jim Carrey. And I love Jim Carrey. You know, you see, like, and and, and one of my favorite conversations is, is actually uh, arguing about how great yeah, Dumb and Dumber is. Yeah, and I'm also yeah, kind of a little bit of a, a film snob. Like, uh-huh. I prefer, like, you know, very specific types of films. Sure. But I watch everything, and I, I can appreciate everything. And so last night was me arguing my case for how great Dumb and Dumber was. <laughs> and, and nobody in that room at 1.30 a.m. was willing to agree with me. But... We all agreed how amazing Jim Carrey was Uh in anything he does. That's
0: really interesting. Mm -hmm. I think the more, because I like the Fairley Brothers in general. Yeah. And I think the more you know about them as filmmakers, not even like their personal life, but just the fact that like they have a very good grip on like story structure and like world building and stuff. So you see a movie like Dumb and Dumber and you're like, yes, it's silly, but it's, it's exactly how they intended it to be. Yeah. You know, they're not trying to get any nods. They're taking He's two incredible actor. actors and yeah. asking them to do this very ridiculous story. You know, I love it too.
5: Yeah, and I, this is something I had to admit last night, and I'm going to admit this right now, is I actually, when I rewatched it a couple months ago, I got a weirdly teary-eyed. Yeah? And I was like, at what, at what what's part? wrong with me? Just like this, just this, Amazing friendship and then they get in this fight and then at the end they come back together and you're you're so like yeah, yeah. That's I'm I'm an emotional person. and that's I remember that way too. like yeah, I'm like why am I? Super emotional right now yeah. over this movie.
0: I, I still cry every single time I watch planes trains and automobiles
5: That's a great film. when
0: when he when Steve Martin has that flashback when yes. he's on the L in Chicago yeah. I haven't seen my life in years and that real intense synthesizer starts, I just, I lose it.
5: Uh the one movie I consistently cry it's the one movie my it's one of my all-time favorite movies. I cry every single time I see it. I've probably seen it like a good 45 times. This is no joke. Is E.T. Yeah. And a couple months ago in Los Angeles, they had like a big outdoor screening and I took my daughter to see it and you know, my kids are they're younger and so it was like such an important movie for me growing up. Mhm and uh they're like yeah mom I'm not into it my son's petrified of oh, it no and way. it breaks my heart and I'm always like you're no kid of mine yeah 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 and my daughter's like kind of a, a like in her preteen and she's just like and we were there and um I started crying like hysterical crying mm-hmm. and it was this idea I was outside the moon was up the eat the music and like I I guess I was feeling I was having this moment with my own kid who seen the movie of my childhood and she just looked over at me and she was like please stop just you're really stop 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 crying why are you crying so hard and the more she kept telling me to stop crying the more I started crying yeah and then I remember like going, okay I, I have to this is weird what's wrong with me and I looked around and every adult that was there was bawling like we were just in and we were kind of looking at each other like giving a little head nod going i know i feel you Mm -hmm. i know what you're going through right now and so it was a really actual like powerful emotional moment with this movie again that every time i see i cry and i love it
0: yeah yeah i think nostalgia has such a huge effect on on your emotions and Especially with Judgment, too. Like, on the opposite end, there's a lot of movies that I remember loving when I was little. And then you watch them again, and you're like, what? What was wrong with me? Well, I'm has doing that the movie that changed, right now? or no. I changed, you know? So
5: I found this list that I, I guess I kept from, like, age 15 to about 25, and it was like a list of all my favorite movies. And I have decided, so this whole last month, I've been rewatching all these movies to see if they even hold up. Mm-hmm. Because they're clearly from different parts of my life. And like, that's a, you know, seminal time period right there. That, that right there is a big chunk of like who you are shaped to be. And I'm rewatching them. And some of them, I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? This is, sh- this is shit. And then some of them, I'm like, Wow. This blows my mind still today and and I can see where these directors have influenced my life and my own filmmaking mm-hmm. style. I I rewatched My Own Private Idaho oh, God, and I remember yeah. skipping school in high school to see that and um just because I was like so in love with Keanu Reeves like I have to see a Keanu Reeves movie and not knowing anything what it was about and just being like really young and naive about filmmaking at that point still and going in and being the only person in the movie theater and like I had skipped school I had went and took a bus downtown and I and it you know opens up with this like full-on blowjob scene and I just remember going I don't know what I'm watching but I can't stop watching it and I had I had loved it I just had loved this movie but I was also you know 17 years old um, and you know now I'm in my 40s and yeah. it was um, on my list I and I had realized that Gus Van Sant is like yeah. such oh, yeah. a huge like, influence on me as a yeah. filmmaker she's not, she's cool. but I had uh, never uh, actually watched that movie yeah. since well, like, and mm-hmm. so I said I'm gonna re-watch this movie and see if it holds up in in, in, in my mind and like where I was at that time versus where I am now and it's so powerful still that movie and I was like, yeah, this stays mm-hmm. on the list. Mm-hmm. This um, one stays on the list. Can,
0: can you think of one that didn't, more, like, that you recently rewatched entire- and you were like. <laughs> um, I'm doing actually
5: pretty good. Sure, I'm like pretty good for, you know, I'm like, like 10 uh, yeah. for 10 yeah, right now, which I'm like, I clearly am amazing. I'm amazing. I'm like all proud of myself. Yeah. I did, we watched, I rewatched In the Mood for Love and I was like. Uh, it is some of the most well, beautiful yeah. filmmaking that I just don't see ever ever done like who, who hasn't really directed done that, that. Uh, Wong Kar, why is that okay why, if I get that wrong you yeah. have to edit that out. yeah oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> my like, like, yeah um and it's, that's the guy that did uh 2040 2041. 20
0: 2140. Yeah, 2046. Movie that movie oh, unbelievable. Look, yeah.
5: your, your listeners can't see this, but I'm getting out my IMDB. <laughs> yeah, I know.
0: That's my most used app without question.
5: Um, it is some of the most beautiful filmmaking. And there's so much in the car. I was, yeah, car.
0: I think you had it. Yeah, I had it. Yeah, I had
5: it. Yeah. I can just take out the last
0: 30 seconds
5: You uh, know what you're talking about. And then, but like the cinematography and the shots and everything about it, the color, the acting is superb. And it's such a quiet film. And you just, I don't, you just don't really see stuff. These beautiful, really long takes with where everything the detail and everything is so
0: It's so intentional. So intentional
5: and so beautiful. And I I wanna say what year it was was the year two thousand. So I definitely say you should you that, okay. You should watch that. So yeah. that was one of those things where I was like, I don't know if this movie's going to hold up, and it totally does. And yeah. I was like, oh, now I need to rip something off from this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah it's funny how your tastes change so much over the years. Like I remember loving watching just like garbage horror trash cinema. Just I can't, I can't really do that anymore. Oh, horror is mean, one
5: of my favorite genres, it, and so. I I
0: do love horror. But you know, the things that you notice as you get older, as opposed to you know things that just totally. Passed you by when you were younger, you know. Like Blade yeah. Runner's has always been my number one of all time, but I I I love uh, Roger Deacons.
5: and yeah. he
0: has this great line. There was these people that were arguing about like what movies have the you know the best cinematography, and he was like, His? you know, yeah, right now. he was like, you know, in film there's there's beautiful imagery, there's not beautiful imagery, but the only. Good cinematography is appropriate cinematography. Yeah. And I was like, preach, brother. I totally, I totally get it. Because you find this whole other channel of visual storytelling that, that's not the music, that's not the dialogue, it's, sometimes it follows the same path, sometimes it tells a totally different story, but you just, you notice things over the yeah. years, you know.
5: Yeah. I think, I mean, we're all evolving. Yeah. Every day. And with our evolving, it comes evolving of tastes. Yeah. So.
0: Great. Well, right. I think that's all I got. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you. Great. So I'm here with uh, Carson. Pa- um, I'm going to butcher it. Palote? 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 Palot. Palot. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Carson has, I believe, the first film that's going to be shown here at the Mid- Middle Coast Film Festival. Uh, can you just introduce yourself and what you're uh, presenting today?
9: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm Carson Palot, and I'm the director of The Heart of the Blackhawks. Uh, it was, it's my about my grandfather. He used to play for the Chicago Blackhawks in the 60s. Well, 55 to 68, and um, yeah, I was just showing his legacy in this film, and it's playing at 2 p.m. at the Middle Coast Film Festival. So, what's the energy like for you personally today? Is this, uh, have you been a part of film
0: festivals in the past with this?
9: Yeah, I've been to a few. I, I won an award last week at the Chicago International Film Festival for uh, Best Short Documentary. Uh, the first uh, uh, festival I was at was called the First Take Film Festival, and I won Best Story. And that's kind of like Best Picture, I'd mm-hmm. say, at that festival, right? And yeah, I've, I've been to other festivals. I didn't go to TIFF this year. TIFF and Toronto International Film Festival. Big festival. Yeah, that's huge. I, just, I just didn't... I, I need to go, and... Yeah, I I know like all the ropes of festivals, and yeah, I I just I love I I just love coming to film festivals and meeting all the other filmmakers who are interested in films and it's and all the good people, especially all the podcasters. And I've never been interviewed by these podcasts before, so like I'm so honored. and I'm so glad to be on this. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, uh, what was the research process like for this film? Because this is obviously mm-hmm. a good example of write what you know.
9: Yeah, um, well, I kind of knew my grandfather in and out, right, from, like, knowing, like, I just, you know, taught him telling me stories and, like, me reading, like, um, like I read his book beforehand and that was all the research that came into it. Like, honestly, the hardest part about the documentary was in, uh, interviewing my aunts and uncle and my dad, right, because... I mean, I mean, obviously I know them, and you know, I, I, and I I phone them once in a while, but like asking what they would know about my grandfather was probably the hardest, right? Because you know they they'd never thought in their life they'd be part of a documentary, right? And it's you know once you know you you do like the three point lighting and you get your camera rolling, and they the boom mic going and the lapels on them is. You know, it's it's nerve wracking. It's you know, it's nerve wracking now being on this podcast. But um, and yeah, those that that's all the research I, I was prepared. You know, um, and you know, I, like some documentaries that like you know they just like go into a subject and just do it. I could not imagine. Like obviously, I want to try it, right? Mm-hmm. But it's I could like yeah, it's so hard. I mean, I just knew my subject and I got uh, told a great story about him and my family, so.
0: So you probably got to see a really interesting, like, cathartic side of your aunts and and uncles interviewing about this, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, you could, kind of, living vicariously through your experience. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
9: Yeah, like, um, because, you know, like, you you go to school, and, like, like, I played hockey, right, but I never went to, like, rep, and that kids would make fun of me, right? But, like... I mean, all my grandpa told me was, like, you know, don't worry about it. Like, like, hockey is, like, you know, you have to start when you were born. Like, he started playing hockey when he was 17. Skating and, like, it's, he, it takes years of practice. And um, even the gear back then, no helmets, like, holy. like And, like, no, like, ankle uh, protection on your, like, skates. Like, oh, like, it, tough league to get in. I don't know how he did it. He just... And that's what like what I was getting at. Like he just taught me like just pick something and be good at it. And mm-hmm. I chose filmmaking, and I just, I just stuck with it. Took his his advice and just try to be the best I can at it. Yeah, yeah.
0: So is this your
9: first venture into doc filmmaking? It is. Yes. Um. I I mean I've worked on like like as sound on like a, like a, a drag queen documentary, and I was uh. I. mean I was. Oh, what else did I? I was uh gaffer on like another like um you know like we had like in school we had these blocks and we had to like work with like whoever's like their subject was and then when it was mine I was the director right like they pick they give you roles to do and yeah like I, I I mean I know like every position I'm like jack of all trades right so (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, no, I love, one of my favorite documentaries of all time is called American Movie.
0: Okay, I've never about, heard of it. It's, it's a documentary about this real-life guy who's trying to get his movie made, and oh. it's he's every every, yeah. every scene he's running into problems. Yes. But something that I think is really interesting about the documentary genre is that uh,
1: the,
0: the story, obviously, is crucial, but b-roll and music can like make or break a documentary for me because it can be the best story in the world but if if you can't keep an audience you know engaged like if you have a a 15 minute you know one-on-one interview and you you don't cut to anything else Mm -hmm. that's tough yeah you know was that something that you were like taken that you were surprised by how much you know how much that how much effort you put into that
9: yeah, like, like, and, like, just you talking about that, like, like editing was the hardest. Like, I was fortunate to have all the pictures, like, scanned from my grandfather, and, like, like him helping me purchase all the, like, all the archive footage of him playing, and I had that luxury, but, like, yeah, for getting B-roll, like, yeah, it makes or breaks it. I mean, I, got, I had to get the soundtrack made, nice, you know, instrumentals, a good sad violin, a good, like piano, guitar, mm-hmm. and you know, it all orchestrates into like the whole feel, and like editing makes or breaks films mm-hmm. any film, it's how you edit it, and it's how it's told, right so like, yeah, it's like first you film it, and then what your idea of film a- filming is, is not what it's going to be when you edit it mm-hmm. you know what I mean, you you kind of have an idea when it comes down to editing, that's when your story's told, and that's how like, and that, yeah, I started off as an editor, and that's how I think People who want to be directors should start because you need to know how to edit a film and how to tell a story before you tell your story. Right,
0: right. And you kind of yeah. sit down, I would imagine, and you're like, okay, what, what sort of emotion do I want to evoke in the audience at the end? Because, you know, they joke that there's every movie has three movies the the script the shot version and then the edited version Yeah, Yeah. you know because I've seen uh, documentaries that totally change the the linear order yeah Um, yeah that's that's really interesting yeah
9: even like like Memento is one of my favorite films Mm -hmm. right and like like the the, how like you know the script right and they you know filming a movie like movies are always well most movies are filmed out of order right and then that's why like I say that's why that's my favorite movie like Like the acting, like it's it's pretty. It's six out of Mm ten, but like I think the story is ten out of ten because how it's edited is that it's like black and white always goes forward, as colors colors goes backwards. So instead of like a normal structure of a movie, or like my documentary is obviously like you know linear, it goes up, climaxes, and it ends right. And like how Mementos told, it's told in a V. All the scenes, right, and it, uh, the v, it meets in the middle of the story. Yeah. So like, it, and it, like, I don't know, like how editing. Yeah, I'm just saying, editing yeah, okay. makes or breaks call, sto- movies. Yeah, books. You name it. Yeah. Even like albums. Oh yeah. And like you know like um, Sgt. Pepper's is considered one of the best albums ever made, and it's how it's like it's how the songs are laid out, which makes it such a great album. even Pink Floyd's. Um, dark side of the moon um okay, i was exactly. watching this video so essay about there's,
8: there's, how um
9: sergeant pepper's like how the how the songs are organized is just like reservoir dogs quentin tarantino's mm-hmm. movie is that like if it was told in order linear it'd be quite boring yeah and so it's, it's just like it like the, how yeah, like yeah, the like, story is told, yeah, it like, complements like, the other stories. Just like this, like this, Tarantino's uh, other uh, film, Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. is that how the scenes five, are laid out complement the whole story. Uh, yeah, and that's what yeah, the, exactly yeah. it makes or breaks yeah. any medium yeah. needs. Because sometimes yeah, yeah. it
0: gets too convoluted. Absolutely. You know, you can you yeah, yeah. can rearrange the scenes, but yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of funny that with most narrative film, if, if the editor does an absolutely phenomenal job, you'll you'll never be able to to see his work.
9: It's a very like unthankable job but it's the most important mm-hmm. most important
0: yeah I know. and and as a filmmaker now the more the more shorts i do the more i can see why my favorite directors always have the same editors that they work with yeah because it's hard to not breathe down the editor's neck you know because yeah. i don't editing is not my strong suit i would rather have trusted friends you know that know my vision uh but it's tough man because yeah like you said i can I used to love watching deleted scenes when I would have DVDs. Yeah. But now that I'm older and I actually, like, make films, you watch it, and you're like, yeah, there's a reason that was deleted.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too bad
0: that we couldn't see Kyle Reese in Terminator 2, but you know what? It's a shitty scene, and it doesn't work for the film. Yeah, yeah. So what are some of your uh, favorites that have like been on your top five for for a long time for you? Um,
9: so I, I'm just gonna say like this is a list I've made. It's a top 15 list. Okay, I love but it. At, so first is Memento. Mm-hmm. Uh, second is um, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest because oh, Jack Nicholson is my favorite. Yeah, and then uh, Double Identity Indentity, oh, Indentity yeah. which is B- Billy Wilder. Yeah. Billy Wilder is one of my favorite directors. Yeah. And then Eight and a oh, Half well, by Fellini. Mm-hmm. Those movies, like I think those four movies okay. are amazing. And then Raging Bull by Scorsese. Like just like I mean I love Black and White and just like. I don't know uh, yeah Raging Bull is just a masterpiece like those five films I would say shape my personality and like yeah no I mean it's weird to say like even though I'm here for a short documentary I made about my grandfather I'm not big into documentaries but I still love making uh, Mm -hmm. and I watch them but I'm not if I'm on Netflix scrolling I'm gonna go for like Criterion Collection Oscar films right but like I, I, I mean, I just like making up stories. Yeah. I mean, I, that's just who I am. Yeah, that's that's pretty much where I get, I guess, all my inspiration. From yeah, that. yeah. documentaries yeah. are such call-to-action pieces, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and you're not always in the mood for that. No, yeah. But I get it. Yeah, like, I only watch sports documentaries or music. Like, The Last Waltz. Mm-hmm. Like, the band is one of yeah, my favorites. oh, yeah. Like, Last Waltz by Scorsese is my favorite documentary. And, um yeah so um I'm actually making like a documentary with my friend it's kind of like we go we're gonna go to Woodstock in New York and mm-hmm. like film a band like trying to get inspiration at cool. Woodstock because like of all the you know I don't know all the culture and yeah, you know, sure. uh, let'll like, we'll see how it turns out yeah my cool. uh, my friend is uh, Tyrell. listen he's a he's a great guy yeah cool well thank you so much for stopping by yeah, no I could promise. I could talk for hours but yeah you got dude, stuff I to wish do. yeah yeah <laughs> well thank you so much for having me man. yeah good luck tonight.
2: Yeah, so I'm Ben Hammond, uh, representing My Death Co, um,
4: and I, I write it.
6: Uh, Sean McDaniel, My Death Co uh,
4: director producer. So Mark Stabline, I'm the director of photography for My Death Co.
2: Yeah, so basically. It's a web series. Uh, This weekend we're screening our first episode and we're actually releasing our second episode. Um, It's about a guy who dies, goes to the afterlife and is forced to work as a grim reaper, um, but just is not very good at his job. So throughout this first season he's got to try and figure out how to uh, do the job and through that experience kind of learns a little bit more about himself and about what his life meant. We're just screening one episode tonight, okay. um, and then we're actually just releasing our, our second episode uh, on YouTube, Vimeo, wherever else, uh, later uh, tomorrow. So. Oh,
0: that's awesome. Yeah. So, um, what do you, you prefer Vimeo? It seems like the, the go-to channel. Uh,
6: Vimeo, I mean, the, the, the whole idea of where we want to stream is that we want to make it available to everybody, and make it easy, and Vimeo, Facebook, and YouTube seem to be the most robust platforms to kind of handle that. Uh, but Vimeo has incredible codecs online, and I think the quality of the video is much better, but on YouTube, you do get a lot more interaction. You get a lot more, you get a lot more people on there than, than you do on Vimeo. But uh, the whole idea is we wanted to make the, the show available to everyone.
0: Yeah. So tell me about this weekend. How does it feel to be, to be here doing it, getting, getting ready to, to show your stuff?
6: so uh, Ben lives here currently so that that's the plus side but uh, Mark and I just flew in yesterday and uh, we gotta tell you we love Chicago we think it's a wonderful city so we're really excited to be out here and be a part of the festival and uh, it seems like the festival is trying to get their legs going and get moving and we're trying to do the same thing and that's the whole idea of this project is we want to support others as they're supporting us and kind of move everything along. I think everything works a little easier if we just work together. Um, but we're looking forward to seeing all the other films and meeting other filmmakers and, you know, networking a bit and uh, try to build a little bit of a fan base out here and, and see what we can do to help on you know, with other filmmakers if they need help with stuff, too. So
4: we want to build a community. Yeah, and also, I mean, our, our lead in the show, John Huck, who plays a grim for Sam, um, is also a Chicago native. So it's kind of nice to be able to be in, premiering our, you know, first episode in a festival that is in Chicago. So I'm happy to be here. Super fun. Yeah, so
0: where, so where are you both from?
4: We both live in Los Angeles. Um, we actually all met in Los Angeles as well. Um, and so we have a pretty close bond that way. Uh, we're currently in LA, East LA.
0: Uh, how long do you get to be in Chicago for?
4: Uh, we're staying until Tuesday.
6: Uh, we're going to try and catch a, a Cubs game Monday night, and uh, you know, kind of, kind of, feel out the town a little bit and kind of hang out. And we don't normally get to see Ben very often, uh, just because he's all the way out here and we we work remotely with each other. So sometimes he comes to LA, sometimes I come out here. But it's nice. Uh, Sorry, we reword that? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
7: yeah, we'll we're going to a, post. yeah, yes. we'll fix it in post.
6: Uh, we're going to yeah, we're going to a game on Monday. We're going to try and check out the sites and just and just uh, see films. You know, that's the whole idea yeah. this weekend.
0: Um, so, do you guys have have funding to shoot more episodes, or do you have more planned?
6: Uh, we are currently looking for funding. Uh, we have a couple of uh, opportunities coming our way. Um, but the nice thing is we've we've had the ability and, and we've been fortunate enough to work with other filmmakers and other people that are trying to make something special as well. And we've been able to kind of all work together and, and create this thing for, for, for very little cost and create something that has, you know, a big production value, a wonderful look. And, uh, the idea is to take this to a larger network like Netflix or Hulu or Amazon. And um, the whole idea was just to make the project as good looking as possible to match, you know, what those sources are. I should probably reword that. We're
2: we're in a good position. We've already shot uh, four episodes. Mm -hmm. So while we're releasing episode two this weekend, uh, we've got three and four ready to go. So as far as funding goes, we're really just trying to shoot the last uh, two. It's going to be a six-episode season. Get those two shot and see where it goes from there.
4: That's the beauty of the kind of family crew that we've kind of made. In pure independent, pure passion project to make this story come to life, and even yeah, we with the opportunities that have come from that funding that has happened, it's kind of fallen all into place. But yeah, for some of the other later episodes, we definitely want to go over the top. (laughs) So
0: yeah, I only mentioned the funding because you know that that part really sucks because of course it needs to be there. But there's so much that you don't need to tell the story that you want to tell a lot. It seems like you guys have really found the balance of finding, like, where you can take shortcuts and where not to take shortcuts. You know what I mean?
6: Uh, I have to say, you know, if you have a camera, no matter what format, tell your story. Just make sure the sound is good. That's, yeah. <laughs> the sound is the most yeah. important thing. If you have to... Do anything. Make sure you have a good sound person, and you have a good mix at the end. I feel like that's what's really helped us in this uh, in this adventure is having good sound Um, and a good DP. and a good DP, Yeah, yeah. For yourself, which
0: doesn't have to cost a fortune. The sound, yeah, Yeah. absolutely
6: not. Yeah, Yeah. get yourself a couple nice mics, get a good recorder. Uh, and just make sure you mix it properly and make sure your audience can hear the story you're trying to tell. You can basically shoot it on a high eight camera and have really good audio and you're going to have an audience, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to buy they they're going to see that it's professional and you know what you're doing and that's what you want from your audience. You want them to completely isolate themselves from the technical issues of your film and could be completely engulfed in your story and what you're trying to do as a filmmaker.
0: Yeah, I feel like Steven Soderbergh is our representative. Cuz he did he had that new movie that just came out, Unseen. Mm-hmm. Which I haven't seen all of, but I know he shot it on an iPhone, mm-hmm. I think, just to prove that, uh, one, that it can be done, and two, it doesn't have to be, like, the shtick, you know? Like, I, wanna, I would be fine shooting a feature-length film on a cell phone, but at the end of the day, I don't want to be known as the movie that was shot on a cell phone, yeah. you know? Because that doesn't reflect my story. Everybody is really obsessed with, like, oh, this check out this 10-minute uh, one-take. Oh, check out this 30-minute one-take. <laughs> check
6: out this whole movie that was filmed on a one-take. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's fine, <laughs>
1: but, you
0: know, in the end, like, you guys want your story to be what you're, you know, remembered
6: for. Yeah, and I think you should do those things if it if it serves a purpose for the story, not necessary to have an ultimate, you know, one-er, you know, your yeah. you're Goodfellas, okay. uh, yeah. you know, Ray Liotta scene. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know, like, there's no reason to put that in there just to have one. You know, if it, if it pertains and works for your story, you should do that. A great example, though, I've seen some folks get a red or an area Alexa camera and they don't know what they're doing and they shoot with it and it ends up looking like video. It looks terrible. And you know, it, it takes craft and it takes collaboration and it takes understanding of your crew and your
4: team. And you got to put your trust in them and again, make sure there's good sound. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. I mean, at the end of the day, you're talking about just tools of the craft. I mean, but the craft is what's making the story happen and it goes with, starts from the writing that's good, the directing, the casting, and the people that you want to tell these stories. And yeah, I mean, the visuals and all that, And the, but yeah, and the sound. Um, <laughs> to have something that actually is clear, but um, at the end of the day, you know, any tool, whether that be iPhone or RED or, you know, Panavision 35 mil or 70 mil print it's it's what's the story that you're gonna be telling so
0: so can you guys think of a couple of movies that either uh maybe for you maybe a
2: movie that serves as inspiration for you or a director or something i mean for me i i feel like as a writer i'm terrible with what i actually like watch and love because i love like bad 90s adam sandler comedies (laughs) and that kind of stuff but then i also do. Uh, love films that are more known for for their writing style, and I think it, it all kind of combines. And I'll have those cheesy '90s jokes in there with a little bit more of a, a, a deep a deeper story. Um, I'm trying to think, last movie that I saw that really really hit home. I don't know. I might have to come back to that one. The last few movies I've seen haven't been that great.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm not looking for a, a pretentious citizen can yeah. answer here. Oh God, no. Because I'll take you
6: right like the the movie I've seen last that I really, really enjoy was Three Billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, right? Yeah. Uh, I thought it was an incredible film. There was so much heart or so much soul in that um, in that movie. But as far as a, a filmmaker goes, I mean, I think every filmmaker has a soft spot for, for Spielberg. But honestly, uh, Joe Johnston, I think, is probably one of my you know underrated uh favorite directors he did one of my favorite films when i was a kid the rocketeer and uh that movie just had such adventure and heart and soul and fun and you know that's the kind of stuff i'd, I'd like to make so yeah, the
0: adventure the adventure genre has kind of been like absorbed by action and like the know, thrillers yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's too bad I, I i think that uh the phantom is responsible for destroying that genre billy zane's classic.
6: Yes, actually. Uh, I did. That's a great example of the destruction of the classic adventure movie. Um, although, I actually did like The Phantom. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't ad- admit that uh, you know too often, but I did actually like that movie. I, I love the environment that they were in. Uh, the storyline was total, total dirt, but you know it was fun. There are
0: certain things you're willing to look past. Oh, yeah. Like, I-, I watched uh, one of my favorite movies of 2017. I've been crucified many times. Is the movie Passengers.
6: Oh, uh, Chris Pratt and, uh, yeah, yeah. And Jennifer right. Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and the story was really criticized on, but um, it's an original work that was not adapted from a novel, and it didn't fall under the, the same science fiction tropes that you always see. And so for that, I was willing to forgive a lot. You know, like, we went and saw... I was so excited about Alien Covenant, and I went and saw it, and I was so disappointed. It was just, like, uh, like forehead in the palm for, like, two hours, because it was just, like... Really, it just seemed, like, really lazy storytelling. It seemed, like, really lazy character-building, and it was just really just
4: disappointing, you know. Um, but anyway. So. Try, try watching The Nun, and then oh, we'll, no, we'll no, talk no. about disappointing. <laughs> bad, oh bad. my lord. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's a typical thing of like, something that's kind of a conjuring and a pretty amazing franchise. You have potential, very engaging kind of subject matter, and then all all the things set up to make a good film, and they just drop the ball. The writing's terrible. But as far as good... Um, uh, I've mostly been seeing a lot of television that are almost like movies in and of themselves if you're binging them especially. Ozark Sharp Objects. I mean I'm a sucker for like this kind of southern gothic style from lighting as, as well as just storytelling but um, some of that work is just incredible. Um, but I'm also uh, love baseball movies so A League of Their Own um, that's probably one of my favorite stories.
10: Sandlot.
4: Sandline, Field of Dreams, though, and Bolt Rome or I, I'll, I've watched them too many times, but it's just classic filmmaking, and you know, I'm a sucker for that subject matter, but... I think, I think one, of the,
2: one of the most recent things I've seen that really, actually, I don't know if you guys have seen yet, Kidding with Jim Carrey. Oh, not, to not yet. Yet. I watched the yeah. first episode, it reminds me a lot of kind of the feel of what we're going for with my death co where it's super super dark but also has those moments of funniness i mean it's jim carrey it's not it's not gonna not be funny yeah um but it is it's dark it goes to places that i was not expecting it to go Um, check it out yeah definitely definitely worth checking out so so dark
0: comedy is kind of the the genre if you had to pick one that death co that death co falls into
2: I would say it kind of borders that. Um, I mean, the subject matter alone, he's a grim reaper. He's going and spending the last few moments of people's lives with them and really trying to connect uh, and find that purpose and give them that closure that, that they need. So I would say it's definitely on the on the darker end when you think of it that way, but the comedy keeps it a little bit more upbeat. I think it keeps it pretty engaging. Um, keeps you laughing, I hope. Uh, yeah.
0: And what's your order? When are you when are you guys uh, playing tonight?
6: Uh, we're tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're tomorrow. The haha ha shorts. Uh, what four four o'clock? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That's great. Well, it's cool to open up about a subject matter that uh, nobody is, you know, even in twenty eighteen, nobody really wants to talk about or wants to talk about seriously. Mm-hmm. So I think you know keeping it light and funny is a good kind of uh, icebreaker of sorts.
1: Yeah.
4: No <laughs> well, I was gonna say I think it, I think also with the with the short in the series actually helps as well. What we do, I think we do capture is the real heart of it too. I mean, there's some honest moments, you know, most of the things that are the most comedic are because they're the most honest. Um, So whether that be kind of dark, maybe the subject matter, I think it, because everyone can relate to it, it's gonna make you laugh as well, just because of the absurdity of it or the the ironic nature of it too. and that really comes through with the performances
6: too.
4: Yeah. I mean death is a process of life and you know
6: it's 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 a, it's a tough pill to take when we've had those scenarios happen to us and we're all going to have to experience it one day and you know it, it's a nice way to just kind of look at it from another point of view and and uh, I think the idea of the show is that everybody has purpose and everybody has a meaning. Uh, and they just maybe not realize it Mm -hmm. and you know if there's a way to shed that light on people to maybe help them get through some kind of scenario they've been through that was painful for them and you know like there was a purpose for their existence no matter who you are Mm -hmm. and uh, this show kind of plays with that a little bit I think
0: yeah well that's cool well great guys thanks for uh, uh, stopping by absolutely thank you you,
6: for for having us
0: yeah of course good luck tonight thank Thank you very much thank you yes I am
10: Iverland the Fourth, and we are we've done a short, and the short is
11: named Identity, Absolutely Present. My name is Lee Brandon Coleman, go by Brandon. Oh, I'm a collaborator for the for the project,
3: and my name is Said, and I am the uh, director and filmmaker.
10: The synopsis behind the film is a story about a
11: man who
10: has the opportunity to have a conversation with his deceased father.
1: I'm really honored
10: to be a part of this festival. Um, This is the second festival that it's been a part of. I'm just really glad glad to be here. I think it's a good opportunity for those who will experience this short to um, self-reflect, to think about their own experiences and find ways to heal with those experiences that they've had. And more importantly, to heal. Art heals. And dealing with those past experiences, all of those uh, experiences and being able to confront them and being able to deal with them and then heal from those uh, confrontations. You know, you don't have 90 minutes
0: of uh, drawn out uh, storytelling. (laughs) and. And $200 million you have, and, you know, you have 10 minutes and $10,000 to tell your story, or 5000 or whatever. Um, so it just it's, it presents a lot of challenges, I think, but yeah. like, it's also really rewarding, I think, once you're at this stage, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Very much so. Cool. Um, and so you guys are playing when?
10: Not tonight, 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock. Yeah. At what time? 8 o'clock.
0: Okay. Awesome. So, um, did you say you, you're the writer, one of the writers?
10: Well, I'm, I'm the writer, actor and producer. Okay.
0: So, is there uh, some directors or movies that you feel like have always been a big part of, of you or like raising you or, you know, um, either inspirational to this or just in general? Like some of your favorites?
3: Uh, I know a
10: lot of Spike Lee joints. I Have uh, been um, inspirational. Must have been Steven Spielberg. Uh, I, I enjoy his work. I think Spike Lee is one of the first that comes to me because he's instituted a lot of films for the um, Black community. Oh yeah. yeah, Either I think is one of my favorites. Um,
0: that, one, that one's really good. I, f- I feel like he's he's really good at making a movie that's really fun to watch on a surface level if you just want to have a good time and watch a movie. Mm-hmm. But if you really want to like get down and dirty and like pick it apart and look at deeper meaning. there's so many layers to his
9: movies, you know.
0: And he just did a, Spike Lee just did a Kickstarter within the last couple of years uh, that I thought was really interesting because you don't normally see big directors doing fundraising like that.
3: Yeah, I think, yeah, I remember that. There's one that I remember, by the end of the film, the key thing that he spoke on was that someone isn't a criminal they committed a criminal act and for me that was just something that I found interesting being that um, a lot of individuals identify with the word like the the, the impact of that word saying like um, this person is a criminal identifies their whole being in contrast to saying like oh this individual committed a criminal act and then they can figure out how to address like. Who am I?
0: Right, right. Actually, putting a label on it. So, instead of, yeah. so
3: that film for me, like in relation to the question, like Spike Lee is definitely one for me too. In the sense of that particular statement in that film it's just like, whoa! It's a beautiful project. It's a very well shot, well done project, and the content of it just delivers the message that's necessary for society. So it's like, Spike, you're on your thing.
0: Yeah, I just I love the idea of a, a big yeah. director doing a Kickstarter project, mm. because yeah, yeah, yeah. he was he got a lot of slack from it, from the film community, because a lot of people were like, fuck you, man, you're taking our money, you know, like, right, right, that's right. supposed to be for us, but he, I'm sure,
10: but Ryan Coop mm. is another name, it's yeah, Black Panther, yeah. starting from the Fruitvale Station, mm-hmm. yeah, from and he's doing started. the new uh, Space Jam sequel.
0: New space
11: oh Here's wow! A secret. Yeah, that yeah, should be LeBron, good with Lebron.
3: With Lebron, with doing that—that that would be yeah. a good one. Oh,
11: it was a good it soundtrack, was, though I will say. Yeah, Who yeah,
3: was, is yeah. Lebron? Yeah, because I heard Lebron was going to be the. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I went into Black Panther <laughs> with my generation. arms crossed. Like Level. I needed a
3: break from all things superhero
0: movies, and I heard so much about Black Panther, and holy shit! That movie was like set precedence on like so many different
11: levels. I, I just didn't like how the white man saved everybody at the end. That kind of they always do that. Yeah, yeah you're, you're right
0: though.
11: I look at the, the cause idea. first and then yeah. look at the solution. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the thing that I do like about this Spike Lee's joint is just like how Shakespeare has his own iambic pentameter. Like, so does like, you know, Spike with the things that he does. Like, not only with that moving dolly that you see in every movie. But just with the vibe and just the temperature that he, and the atmosphere that he creates with that. So mm-hmm. it's even an environment, for God's sakes. So when you go into those films, it's really like you live in that area, not like you're just looking at it on the TV screen. Even the way that it's shot, it looks like you're there, kind of. Yeah. Like you're looking at it from some handy cam and not some glorified like no, uh, media. Right. Because
0: you don't need an Alexa to tell a good story. No. And I think Spike knows that.
11: Yeah. And even the dialogue, the, the simple words that he that he uh, that he has, is, it's not simple as in simple as in stupid. It's simple as in this is the, the... when you're trying to just a problem, it's best to say it plainly and to say it simply mm-hmm. and to say it direct. He really does that with each level of dialogue with what he states. It may be really simple as sometimes when you're watching some certain aspects of like you know do the right thing or jungle people. Still, the story is so solid that I take that over any of that Shakespeare mm-hmm. bullshit that you yeah. call.
0: Yeah, for sure, you, and I love when he has his moments when he breaks down the fourth wall. Yeah, and he looks directly at the camera. That's what yeah. You're saying, yeah, it's like in case you guys haven't got this, look at me because I have something to say real quick. Like, this it, is, it's, it's always is. something. Worthwhile. It's like
11: him saying like, "This is our problem." Right. And I think that's kind of what your what your uh, your film uh, puncture scores about how it transcends like all races, genders, and all that other stuff. Yeah, but it really yeah. transcends people to be like, "Yo, this is our issue. This is your issue. Maybe this yeah. is why you're hurt, and maybe you need to acknowledge this problem." So you can, you know, be a better individual. I utterly agree
3: on that. Just as a filmmaker, um, two other filmmakers, like, just like you said, Ryan Coogler, Spike Lee, and um, Alfred Hitchcock.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Alfred Hitchcock. The way he handles, like, he he broke the fourth wall, the way he suspense at that time period, and how he um, just casually turned it into a conversation. Like, he had introductions to his films that were literally like all um prop elements that were related to the film and he was like you know um with the birds like he had cooked chicken and all of these different things on a table walking through this whole thing and he's like you know these are beautiful animals eating and then you go into the film and it's called the birds just so clever it's so interactive it's so
0: engaging and it was like He's just such an innovating Yeah, you're like, who the fuck does
3: that? So the so, so so the wit of Alfred Hitchcock is also something that I appreciate and his catalogue of work is like very deep. And um, the way he did like camera movement was another thing, like just how he would keep one shot and bring something from a balcony all the way down just to keep a shot um just to keep a moment fully consistent. Yeah,
11: like it was a rear window.
3: Yep. That was tense as hell.
11: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and his, his 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 ability to handle suspense was like one of the tone setters for a lot of um, premiere and um, emerging directors. Yeah, and then you know I just appreciate like people who you know um, intentionally or even un- unintentionally um, set foundations by pursuing that particular passion of like this is I'm supposed to do this. Mm-hmm. So like. I know he was doing a lot of different things, just like Spike, just like Ryan Coogler, and other individuals.
0: Did you ever see uh, Vertigo? Yes. And that famous uh, dolly zoom. Yeah. That he came up with for that movie. For oh, the and bell
11: tower scene.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, and I mean, they use it in, in yeah. everything. I mean, I don't, I, I'm sure that he had no idea that it was going to be that effective but it's just like the way that that brain works like right. how, how do you think maybe if we zoom in while dollying out yeah, it's going to give us this crazy effect Like the I remember pull, that push pull,
3: the push pull dynamic yeah. of like the background expands while the foreground condenses it's just like how
11: I mean it's so standard now it's like it's
3: because the individual in the middle stays in the middle like that mic would stay in the middle as we're moving oh, toward mm-hmm. him but everything else Changes, so it's like what is moving
11: but the cool that innovation or something like that happens if you go to back something like uh gymnastics when they do a move they call it that person who did it mm-hmm. so now it's like that guy's move right. pretty much yeah. in cinema because it's always used especially in these action films around. yeah yeah uh
0: well shit guys i know they probably got something else for you so that's that's all i got but thanks so much for, for yeah. sitting down good luck tonight yeah well, thanks
11: all right thanks
8: my name is uh, Jefferson, and so I'm here with I my second-featured yeah, children. Like, oh, oh, yours is <laughs> one of the features. Wait, yeah. Wait, uh,
0: so how, how long of an trial endeavor trial has this for been for you, from, like, preconception to, to tonight?
1: Um,
8: well... I finished this film a while ago, um, but the actual process of making it was a little bit quicker than other projects I've done um, because this one wasn't scripted. Um, it was something like I had I had been in a film um, by this New York filmmaker named Ben Dickinson. He made this movie called First Winter um, that was unscripted, and I was interested in the process of how he made that in the collaboration with the actors. Um, he util- utilized a lot of really great indie uh, New York people in indie New York scene um, and uh, off of that I decided I want to try my like, hand making a film in a similar way so um, this one in terms of like getting it off the ground was pretty quick um, then the editing process was a lot longer. Um, it was a different like the back end was a lot different than stuff that I'd done uh, previously but all said and done I, I probably was chipping away on it over. Mm, a year and a half, maybe, um, from, like, conception to, like, finishing it, um, versus, like, my first feature, which it took seven years to get made, yeah. like, uh, which wasn't, I wasn't, like, working on that non-stop the whole time, but sure. from, like, writing the script, which, you know, multiple revisions over the course of... A year and a half or so, and then finding the funding, and then, you know, making it, editing it. It was a different process that took longer, so. Labor of love, huh? Mm-hmm. Yes. No, I mean, every, everything, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so this film, if you could give us, like, the, el- the extended elevator pitch.
8: Um, uh, the basically that i describe it is it's an existential art house christian horror film um it's All right. it's a it's a very atmospheric film um it's kind of about sort of a slip into madness the film hopefully kind of captures like the subjective uh, world of the characters, and, and hopefully puts the audience in kind of their frame of mind over the course of the film. But it's mm-hmm. it's very much an atmosphere piece. Yeah.
0: So when you were looking for uh, creative collaborators, whether writer, uh, producers, or whatever, did you go through that thing where you're like, okay, it's kind of like this meets that and that? Do you have any sort of like inspirational pieces that you really? you know feel like were a big part of
8: this um well it's nothing at all like this but Three Women was was uh, the Altman film was was a reference point because that also does a similar thing where a lot of that film is kind of like like whose point of view of, is this or like mm-hmm. what are we seeing there's like a dreamlike nature to it so mm-hmm. that that was a definite, definite reference point for this film um, otherwise, it was just a matter of these two actresses, Caitlin Scheel and Samantha Jacober, who I worked worked on acting in my buddy's film, and they're both very talented actresses. And I thought it'd be a lot of fun to like take a basic construct, a basic idea of what this film should be. I knew the beginning and the end. Um, and then explore with them uh, while we were making it. So we shot over the course of a month um, in the middle of southern Idaho out in the wilderness and basically lived the film like we uh, injected ourselves into the world of the film, uh, that we constructed and, um, sort of, as we drove around and found spots and saw locations, just let those elements, like, spark our imagination for where it could go. Um, and I shot the film sort of like a, uh, choose-your-own-adventure in a sense. Like, mm-hmm. I knew the emotional beats that I wanted to have. I knew, um, kind of, like, different elements that I wanted to have happen in the film. Um, and we just go around and shoot all of those different elements, and then it was a matter of like organizing them and uh, figuring out the best kind of through line of the of the film. So the film could have been a million different things. I like, could have uh, so many different versions of it, but mm-hmm. the version that I have, I can't even say is the best version. I think it's it is the best version, but it's also not necessarily the best version because. It's kind of like recording music, for example, if you're trying to get a guitar tone, like you can't necessarily say this guitar's tone's better than a different guitar tone, mm-hmm. they're just like sort of different. This film and the editing stage was very much the same thing. Like, yeah. This other scene that I didn't use could have been just as good as the scene that I did use, mm-hmm. but I had to make a choice, and you know. Yeah. Like I had to trim the fat, it's, you know, sure. it, it, it could have been a really long film as well, but it's... You know, trim, slim 72 minutes and uh, chiseling it down to like its most concise version was what I ultimately tried to do with it. But yeah.
0: um, Oh, that's uh, so cool, man. I was talking to the the program director earlier today and uh, she was talking about, she she remembered seeing the Blair Witch Project at Sundance when it originally played in 1999. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were talking about how if that movie would have been made on like a professional. Two hundred dollar, two hundred million dollar budget. It would not have been what it was. Yeah, and yeah. It, that kind of reminded me of what you were just saying about you know you made this film a very certain way that could have been done any number of ways. Well,
8: and it was also a reaction to my first feature, which the first feature the budget was six hundred thousand, and and prior to making that, I shot everything myself. My crew was usually myself and a boom operator running the boom camera right to my VX two thousand, you know, uh, mini DV War. camera, which I shot on my early shorts on. Um, And then when I made my first feature, uh, Magic Valley, which uh, I had like a known producer and known actors and a a significantly larger crew. It wasn't a huge crew, but, you know, like 25 people or so. Mm -hmm. Um, It changed the way I had to approach making that film. Because my normal process is I write everything, I storyboard it to a T, I know exactly what I need to get. So that on the day of when I go and shoot it, I'm allowed to play more. Like, if I see something happening to my right, I can shift the scene over and capture what's happening to my Mm -hmm. right. You know, like, capturing natural elements uh, in the setting. Um, But with my first film, Magic Valley, I wasn't able to do that as much because suddenly you have, like, three trailer trucks that you have to move and you can't do it the same way. So this new one was kind of a reaction to the process of making that first feature in terms of, like, the crew on, on the film that's showing here was two people. And myself Mm -hmm. and two actresses so it was kind of like you know the polar opposite of how I'd made my first feature then after making both of them I think the middle ground is probably the ideal ideal way to make something but yeah it was a it was a kind of an experiment in process for Mm -hmm. sure so what advice would you give to somebody who was
0: maybe like 22 23 no filmmaking experience, but looking to break into the industry.
8: Um, I don't know. I, I I would say the biggest thing is just watch a bunch of movies, figure out what you like, what you're what you're responding to, and then rip off everything. Like, yeah. Uh, because when you rip off something, you're not going to be really ripping it off because it's going to go through your own filter. Like just it, use it, the
0: term homage, and you'll be fine. Yeah,
8: yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm not saying like you know totally. And it's less a matter of story; it's more a matter of like mood or shots or you know like. See what you like about what certain people are doing, and then kind of see how you can apply that to your work, and figure out what's working for you or not working. And, and it's uh, kind of like with any art form. If you're wanting to become a musician, you learn how to play like class, like you learn piano. You're yeah. playing other people's stuff. You learn. Like when you're first learning how to play guitar, you're probably most likely learning the music of bands that you like. And then once you have kind of those skills, then you are able to filter that through your own lens and Mm -hmm. make your own stuff out of it. So um, I would say anyone who's wanting to get into stuff, just kind of like watch a lot of stuff, figure out what it is you like, and then just start making stuff. And you probably won't, succeed exactly in what you're wanting to do but then you just continue to grow and continue to make stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
10: Um, just make stuff
8: that's a, cool, that's a cool
0: analogy I've never thought of it like that like if I went out and bought a guitar guitar lessons are great but if I don't know what kind of what style of music I like then there's not much point in learning how to play if I don't know what I want to hear you know the, yeah that was cool um, great and so when is
8: your film playing Um, five forty-five tomorrow evening
0: okay Okay. awesome well thanks so much for stopping by cool
8: cool man (laughs) good luck with everything excellent thanks
0: man yeah for sure all right well that's just about it from me well that's just about it from me thanks again to so many people down there at the davis theater this weekend who are so willing to sit down and talk with me again the middle coast film festival going on all day today short films feature films back to back get down there check it out And until next time, I'm Jimmy Malone, and this has been Movie, Show,
1: Theater.